It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Very good morning to you as we welcome you along to Tuesday's edition of Cork Today. We have John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we would love to hear from you. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And actually just listening there on the news with Barry, they were mentioning uh, Cheltenham, which of course gets underway today. And somebody yesterday, and I just didn't get around to their text, were really giving out about Cheltenham saying, I cannot believe Cheltenham is going ahead. Look what happened uh, last year and uh, are they doing it all over again this year? And they're not. It's a very different uh, Cheltenham getting underway today. I mean, instead of the thousands who normally would pour into the Gloucestershire town, there's just going to be a few hundred jockeys, trainers and staff and all of them will be spread across the course with the uh, approximately 170 members of the Irish contingent they are going to be contained in their own bubble. Jockeys for example will be weighed in in different rooms. There are single occupancy cabins for all arriving at Cheltenham and once they enter the race course they're not allowed to leave the Irish area. It will not be allowed to mix with the British area. Everyone who is going to Cheltenham who's involved as I say the jockeys, the trainers and the staff all of them have been undergoing PCR testing across the last two weeks and then 72 hours before they head to England they had to be tested again they were tested uh, and then before they leave they will be tested again and then when they come back into this country they will be tested five days later so they really do appear to be doing everything possible to make sure that nothing will come from Cheltenham that could go on to be a super spreader or any kind of a spreading uh, event and God knows the listener who contacted us yesterday uh, was right. We all remember what happened and we all remember the criticism of the tens of thousands of people who went to Cheltenham yesterday and it attributed in so many ways to the spread of coronavirus in this country uh, for sure. And uh, of course our big national holiday is tomorrow and it's going to be yet again 
another very different St. Patrick's Day and already somebody texting in to say Patricia they said St. Patrick's Day would be back this year this was last year remember last year when it all got cancelled and here we are 12 months later and still everything is shut this listener says what about the crowds that are in parks there are no cleaning of swings and uh, slides and yet they are able to keep the pubs uh, shut and drowning the shamrock with friends are a traditional St. Patrick's Day get together in people's homes will heighten the risk of more COVID-19 infections that was the message that was coming excuse me from the health experts last night takeaway pints are meeting up for cans of beers or for a bottle of wine could result in another acceleration of the spread of the dangerous infection there are also fears that anti-lockdown demonstrations we know there's a big one planned for Dublin tomorrow will also cause a jump in cases and the Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr Roland Glim is warning and he came out and he said look I don't want to be a kill joy but there is still too much of the disease in this country. He said socialising will mean people will end up in hospital and unfortunately some of those people will die and as we know the weather forecast for tomorrow is probably going to be the best day of the year so far. I mean, we're looking at temperatures tomorrow well up in the teens. It could be again another day of 16 degrees. So much of the country tomorrow is expected to see good sunshine. The fear now is that that could lead to, if it's a nice sunny day, that's going to lead to people congregating outdoors. There is a a real concern that the they're trying to drive down the virus and they were kind of stuck around the five, almost 600 figure. For example, the cases reported yesterday were 575. It's plateaued again. And it kind of did that when it got to about a thousand a day. Remember there was day on day on day it didn't seem to be moving at all. We seem to be stuck again at 575. And 575 seems like a low number when you think back to the days in January when we were reporting 5,000, 6,000, even 7,000 cases a day. So kind of people are thinking, ah, it's only 575. That's nothing compared to what it was in January. But we know how easily those numbers can creep back up again. And before we know it, we could be at a stage where we're again looking at cases, case numbers in the thousand. And nobody, but nobody wants to find ourselves back uh, there. So Dr. Roland Glynn said, we are by no means out of the woods. And he says, although people are shattered with it all, the virus will exploit anywhere people Congregate. Professor Philip Nolan of Neffet said the current cases are linked back to adults mixing and socialising 10 to 14 days ago. The decline in cases each week has been falling. It's gone from 40% to around 20%, and now it's at 3%. And the figures are also showing that the schools, this is good news for anyone whose little ones went back yesterday, schools not to blame for the spread and infections are being spread in the community and infections are being spread in household settings. Deaths, thankfully, have also declined. Still high, though. There's still about 16 deaths a day and that's 16 families absolutely devastated for the loss of a loved one. And I saw, you know, the actress, the the actor, the wonderful Irish actor, Jamie Dorn, his dad, Jim Dorn, passed away yesterday from COVID. And Jim Dorn was well known in the in Northern Ireland. He was a well-known obstetrician and uh, gynaecologist. He was only 73. And even when he retired from his work as a doctor, he was well known for his charity work and much, much loved man. But he sadly passed away from COVID. So you just you know, your families are still still 
absolutely devastated when a, lo- a, a much loved father, brother, sister, grandfather, granddad, son or daughter uh, passes away. So we still are having deaths from uh, COVID. Admissions to intensive care, that's the good news. They are down. and that, But there's still a steady level of admissions to hospitals. So it still means that people are getting very sick when they do get COVID-19. 360 patients in hospital yesterday, 85 of those in intensive care. And there was 25 additional hospitalisations in the previous uh, 24 hours. Dr. Roland Glim said he noted last week that we're seeing an increase in mobility and while some increase obviously would be expected with more children returning to school he said we also must continue to be very cautious he said now is simply not the time to be socialising he said it simply is too risky Roland Glynn said that while there has been a very understandable focus on the vaccine programme over recent days we mustn't lose sight of the danger that COVID-19 continues to uh, pose he says in time vaccines will have a very significant positive impact on COVID-19 and that will stop a further wave of disease over the coming weeks. But he said we're seeing this play out across Europe. Many countries are now experiencing pressure again on their hospitals and their critical care uh, capacities and he said we simply must not let that happen here and I know Italy have once again, they're coming under huge pressure and they're about to go back into another lockdown. They thought they'd seen the end end of their uh, lockdown but it just shows what a nasty, nasty and infectious disease COVID-19 is and there was one Dublin GP quoted on the paper Ray uh, Wally uh, he was saying yesterday uh, that the first round of of giving people over 85 their second dose of Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. That's starting this week. So that's good news in itself. Uh, There are guaranteed the second dose, but the first dose, he says, for the over 75s now is limited. And this is because of a shortage of the Moderna vaccine. And vaccines now are obviously being targeted at the over 85s. Though he still said he's still hopeful. He still believes everybody over the age of 70 will be vaccinated by mid-May. But there are so many people over the age of of 70 and uh, the those over 70, over 75 were all sitting at home anxiously waiting to get the call from the GP but it looks, does look like there is going to be some delays across next week and this is to do with the shortage of Moderna. Dr Ray Wally, the Dublin GP said he will be seeing he, but he says he was still seeing too many people delaying coming forward for referral for testing and many people are still believing, oh sure this is just my usual winter cold, this is the head cold that I get uh, every year and he, he recalled a recent case of a female patient who attended a funeral and then went to the GP saying I can't shake off this cough or I can't shake off this uh, sore throat and she ended up infecting her whole family so the message to people still if you come down with any kind of flu symptoms to please go straight away to your GP because I mentioned it yesterday one of the pluses of the pandemic is we haven't had a flu season this year there is not flu circulating in the community and that's because we're socially distancing we're wearing our masks and uh, we're keeping away from each other and the good hand hygiene and the good cough etiquette all of that is working so when you get something that you think oh this is the usual thing that I get every year it's not because the usual virus that you get every year that normally circulates every year is not there and then of course the big worry about tomorrow from a Gardaí point of view is the protesters that are expected into Dublin and the Gardaí 
hopefully are hoping to try to stop many of them actually reaching Dublin. This is a protest. It's It's been billed as the largest anti-lockdown protest to date. There's going to be a massive increase in guard the checkpoints in suburbs on roads into the north side and the south side of Dublin. People will be asked for their reason for travelling and they'll face being turned back if they do not have an essential reason for heading into the city. They will be guard the presence at train stations, they'll be at bus stations, they'll be at the Lewis stops uh, tomorrow and they are mounting a massive policing operation. Public transport is also going to be monitored to ensure that people are complying with COVID-19 regulations, for example, that they're wearing their masks and also they'll be asked what they're doing on the public transport and making sure that their journey is uh, essential. Travelling to a protest, we're told, is not deemed an essential journey. Senior sources within the Gardaí say that they will be out in force. There'll be at train stations and bus stations and they'll be out in force at train stations and bus stations right across the country, which I think is a good plan to try to sort of head people off at the pass. So if they're at, say, the train station in Cork or at the bus station in Formoy and people are get, are getting onto a train or a bus that's heading to Dublin, if they start asking people and if the person does not have an essential reason they can actually stop them before they even get on the bus or the train and it's all part of this coordinated attempt to prevent people from breaching the five kilometre rule by travelling from provisional towns and, and cities to the St Patrick's Day protest which has been uh, planned for Dublin and then in the city centre itself we're told more than 200 Gardaí will be specifically deployed on both sides of the river Liffey all leave for Gardaí in all of the divisions in the city has been cancelled for tomorrow and then a significant amount of Garda overtime pay will be allocated for the operation and you have to kind of stop and think is this a great big waste of money but the Gardaí they have to do it but just think the cost to the exchequer three Dublin based chief superintendents have also been placed in charge of operations on the day and of course since the violence at last month's demonstrations in Dublin there has been a number of high level meetings involving senior Gardaí preparing for tomorrow's protest there's another one being spoken about for Saturday and they are particularly concerned that the second protest at the weekend may prove to be more of a flashpoint for violence so they're hoping that they'll get over tomorrow without any violent scenes and then obviously they'll hold their breath and hope that the same thing happens uh, next Saturday we were very lucky here in Cork with the protest very peaceful protest that took place last Saturday and there was a strong policing presence at that but thankfully uh, thankfully we nothing uh, like the scenes that we wit- witnessed at last month's demonstration in Dublin and we also when we witnessed what has happened in Clap uncommon in over in England for the Reclaim the Streets protest during the week. Nobody wants to see scenes like that uh, either. So fingers crossed and uh, hopefully it'll all go off and everyone will have a nice and a peaceful St. Patrick's Day. But just be careful wherever you plan to go tomorrow. And I know people will want to go out. It's to try and not congregate in very large groups. Hi, Patricia. People are simply fed up. That's what's wrong at the moment. Did you see the news last night? Schools have all gone back. The classrooms were packed. There was four children around a square table. They were in touching distance of each other. I can't believe it. Were schools not supposed to be in pods? Yes, schools are responsible. Children go back to school play dates with their friends. Uh, They go home. Uh, That's why household numbers are up. I for one have had enough said uh, Joe in Dumanway. Well, the, the 
and there's lots of pictures in the papers of the children uh, going back uh, to school uh, yesterday. But the stats were out for last week, looking at the number of uh, figures. And there's no indication that there was any increase in numbers as a direct result of schools. Uh, In fact, the number of children picking up COVID-19 week on week fell the week that the children went back to school. So there's no indication as of yet that there's any super spreading events inside the schools. And God knows schools have done so much to make sure that they are safe places. And I know uh, public health has reviewed the measures put in place to ensure that the safe operation of of schools and they're satisfied that infection prevention and control measures are all rigorously adhered to keeping everybody within the school community safe. I think the bigger problem with schools, and it seems to be working this time, is the congregating at the school gates at the parents. That's why everybody was asked to make sure that they wouldn't be congregating outside. And I know Dr Ronan Glynn was a pains to point out that when schools reopened to say to parents, this doesn't mean that children can go home and visit each other's houses for play dates. They can meet up in school, school, but that's it. They're not to all go off on play dates or visit each other's houses. And under the latest phase reopening of schools, 350,000 students returned to in-person learning yesterday. Lots of gorgeous pictures of very happy children, I have to say. Primary schools are now fully open. 50 students also returned uh, yesterday and all of the schools saying there was huge excitement and the children just so glad to get back into the classroom and to be back with their friends. So that's the primary schools fully reopened. First to fourth year second level students they continue to learn remotely that's going to happen until after Easter public health guidance at the moment will permit that they can return to the classroom on the 12th of April and the Minister of Education Norma Foley yesterday saying that yesterday marked another important step in the phased reopening of our schools and long may the figures show that the safest place for the children is within the school settings. 1850 John Paul taking your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now the Corbett family from Limerick were left totally devastated last week by news that a retrial has been granted to father and daughter Tom and Molly Martins over the second degree murder of businessman Jason Corbett who was beaten to death as he slept. Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent has been covering this story since the outset and even co-wrote a book about the brutal murder with Jason's sister Tracy Corbett Lynch and uh, Ralph joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to you Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, you're welcome. And actually, earlier when I was teeing up that you were coming on the programme, I was speaking with Ken Tobin on, on The Breakfast Show. And for the life of me, I couldn't remember the name of uh, of the book, which is, is of course, called uh, My Brother Jason. That's but right. You will be delighted to hear we got swamped with texts and calls from people who clearly remembered the name of your book. So it's a book that has <laughs> stayed in the Very mindset nice. of a lot of people. Now, on what grounds have the Martins been granted a retrial and was it expected? Um, simple answer, it wasn't expected and the family had been praying and hoping that the Supreme Court would ratify the original conviction and just to, to, I suppose, briefly to recap for your listeners, um, Jason Corbett was found beaten to death in the bedroom of his house outside Winston-Salem in North Carolina on August the 2nd 2015 and following a five-week trial in July and August of 2017 um, his second wife, his American wife, Molly Martins, and her father, uh, Tom Martins, who was a retired FBI agent, they were both 
convicted by unanimous um, verdict of a North Carolina jury of the second degree murder of uh, Jason Corbett. Now, now, Jason had been beaten to death with a concrete uh, paving slab and a metal baseball bat. Uh, the evidence that was given during the trial was that he was asleep when he was attacked. He was um, beaten even after he had fallen to the ground. He was beaten after he was dead. Um, there had been an attempt to drug him before the attack. And then, probably most cruelly, um, it was it was stated in court that Tom and Molly Martins had delayed ringing um, for paramedics just to make sure that he was dead when they finally arrived. So they were convicted of second-degree murder. They were given 20 to 25-year prison sentences, but they immediately appealed it. And the first major setback for the Corbett family was in uh, January of 2019. There was a hearing for the, uh, the Court of Appeal in North Carolina. And then uh, in February of last year, I think it was January, February of last year, they basically threw out the um, original conviction by a very slim two-to-one majority of the judges. And they did so, to answer your question, on the basis that they said the ability of Tom and Molly Martins to present their case of uh, that they acted in self-defence, that the case was unfairly restricted by the court judge uh, on a couple of decisions that he made in terms of evidential matters and that he wouldn't allow, number one, statements from the two children to be entered in evidence. That would be Jason's two children, Jack and Sarah. That he didn't allow a, st- a recalled statement by Tom Martins to be entered into evidence and that he did not allow certain recollections from Tom Martins about what his daughter was actually saying that evening to be entered into evidence. So the family then had hoped that following the setback in the Court of Appeal, that the North Carolina Supreme Court would basically ratify the original decision. And unfortunately, their worst nightmare came came to pass on Friday uh, when the, the Supreme Court decided on a four to three wafer-thin majority that the original trial verdict should be set aside and that a new trial um, should proceed. And what's interesting is, in some of the dissenting opinions, one of the three judges who dissented and said that the original trial was fair and that the verdict should be upheld. He said that the evidence against the father and daughter was absolutely overwhelming. And one of the three judges that dissented in their opinion was actually the Supreme just Supreme Court Justice of North Carolina, and Mr Justice Paul Newby. And how did the corporate family find out about the retrial? They were contacted by the district attorney's office uh, in North Carolina to inform them that unfortunately they, they had lost. Obviously, the North Carolina prosecutors had opposed both the Court of Appeal challenge by the Martins and they'd also opposed the North Carolina Supreme Court um, application in terms of setting aside the original trial verdict. So the prosecutors had said the trial was fair. It was scrupulously conducted by the trial judge, David Lee, that the defendants had every opportunity to argue self-defense, and they also challenged some of the legal grounds put forward by the defense teams. Unfortunately, uh, by a 4-3 verdict, a 4-3 um, majority, the judges of the Supreme Court said no, that there should be a retrial. And the family were devastated. They had obviously informed on Friday afternoon by the district attorneys who were themselves very disappointed. Um, but it was just a devastating thing for them because like, I'm not a spokesperson for the family, but I, I'm very much aware of what they've gone through since 2015. They're a remarkable family. They have waged an incredible campaign for justice for Jason. Um, they have gone to incredible lengths to ensure to see that, that justice is done, that the 
prosecutors in North Carolina are supported in terms of being given every uh, opportunity to access evidence from Ireland, support from Ireland in terms of their 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 case. But it, it was just absolutely a body blow for them. I think they had hoped against hope that the original trial verdict would be would be ratified, um, and now they find themselves effectively back at square one. That is, it's as if the last six years hasn't happened. And they now have to start building up for a new trial, pre-trial oh, hearings, God. and everything that goes with is it. There, Ralph, is there a chance of bail for these guys? Uh, yes, there is a very oh. strong chance of bail. Um, for Sean, uh, 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 as In the eyes of the law, uh, once the Supreme Court uh, made the decision that there should be a retrial, it effectively sets aside the original conviction. So we're expecting a bail application from the Martins within a matter of days. Uh, and how are Jack and Sarah? I mean, in the middle of all of this, there's uh, there's children, and of course, their g- gorgeous mum uh, had yeah. died of of an asthma attack many years earlier, and that's how Jason Corbett ended up with uh, Molly Martins because she came over as their nanny from uh, America. But how are they doing today? And what age are they now? Yeah, they're good. They're what, they're basically. Um when when um, Margaret Maggs Fitzpatrick, who was Jason's first wife, she died very tragically of an asthma attack in November 2006. And at that point, uh, Jack and Sarah were... They, Jack uh, was two, and uh, Sarah was literally, I think, only a matter of eight eight weeks, ten weeks old. So, you know, they, they lost their mother when they were two years and under, and uh, they lost their father when basically they were... They were uh, ten, 10 years, and I think it was seven or eight years. So like, they were orphaned at seven, seven and ten years, which is a shocking thing for any children to, to, to go through that. Um, but the one thing I would say is that they're a remarkable family, the Corbett's. They have gone to incredible lengths to protect the children, to give them as normal a life as possible in Ireland. And the kids have thrived. They've done really well in Limerick. I mean, you know, Jack is a, he's a good rugby player. He's a very, very good musician. You'll often come across some of his stuff on YouTube. Uh, Sarah has written a book, of course. She's one of the youngest people in Ireland ever to have written a book. She wrote a children's book all about um, finding your place in life and dealing with grief and loss. Um, She's a very good singer, very good dancer. Um, She's an aspiring actress. So they're getting on with their lives. But the concern for the family is that, you know, how do you shield them from this retrial, which again is going to dominate headlines, it's probably going to take even longer than the original Davidson County Superior Court trial. That lasted for five weeks. So this trial will probably last even longer. And unfortunately, one of the elements of the challenge that we briefly touched on, and the Martins, one of their main lines of appeal was that disputed statements from Jack and Sarah weren't allowed part of the evidence in the original trial. And that is one of the things that the Supreme Court honed in on. So more than likely, those statements are now going, or effectively Jack and Sarah will find themselves and statements that they made back in 2015, that those statements will be part of any retrial that's staged. And their statements that Jack and Sarah now say they made under pressure? Well, those statements actually were recanted almost at the time, um, Patricia. The statements were given in the days after um, Jason's death uh, to social services in North Carolina. Um, about a week to two weeks afterwards, the children were repatriated to Ireland. And once in Ireland, they made sworn statements here, recanting all of the statements that they had made in North Carolina. So Judge David Lee, in pre-trial hearings before the Davidson County Superior Court hearing uh, in uh, July and August of 2017, he made the decision that the statements were contested 
and that the fairest thing to do was to omit them entirely so that the jury wouldn't have to hear two different sets of statements for contradicting each other. But the, the Supreme Court took a different view. So we're now looking at certainly a very strong possibility that those statements will now feature in any retrial. Uh, will the Corbett family travel? To, because there was a large number of them travelled the first time, wasn't there? There was, and I would expect that they will again, because, I mean, the one thing, there was a very detailed, very powerful statement issued by the family um, on Friday evening in the wake of this decision by the North Carolina Supreme Court. And what they have said very clearly is that they are going to continue to campaign for justice for their for their beloved Jason, that they will do everything in their power to support the North Carolina prosecutors in seeking a second conviction, and that they will not rest to ensure that that those who took Jason's life in such cruel um, and violent uh, manner will face the justice they deserve. Okay, and do we know when the retrial will take place? A simple answer, we don't, Patricia, but I I wouldn't expect it to be this year for a number of different reasons, ranging from the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic through to logistical and legal reasons in terms of preparing for the case. So it seems to be most likely that it'll be in the early middle part of 2022. Okay, and that that Facebook page, remember the Facebook page that Molly Martin had that she was trying to send messages to the children when they were over here in Ireland? That's right. Was that eventually taken down? It was taken down. There was a lot of issues um, between the family and the social media giants over um, material that was consistently being put up in terms of Molly and the children. Um, But there are still, there's a lot of stuff on social media in terms of the case, in terms of the allegations and and things that have been bandied about in it. Um, And and certainly that has caused a lot of upset to the family over the years, most particularly the use of of, of certain types of images on those those web pages. Photographs, yeah. Uh, A lot of people having a great outpouring of love and support for the Corbett family, I have to say, coming in on uh, text. Somebody says Molly Martin and her father uh, should be left in jail for the rest of their lives. If she didn't want him, she should simply have left him. But that was the problem. Jason was trying to leave her, wasn't it? And to take the children. It was the children she wanted. Yeah. I think one of the most telling aspects of it, um, Patricia, again, for for, for your listeners, is that um, they got married in June of 2011. Uh, That was Molly and Jason. The wedding was almost entirely paid for by, by Jason even though Molly's father took a lot of the credit for the wedding that was staged, a very elaborate um, wedding in an old Confederate plantation um, mansion in Tennessee. But six weeks after they got married, she went to a divorce lawyer, and her specific question was, what were her entitlements to the children? And between their wedding in 2011 and his death in 2015, there were repeated attempts by her and by other members of her family, most specifically Tom Martins, to try and get Jason, to persuade Jason to sign adoption papers, which would have given Molly equal rights to the children that he would have had himself. And he was found beaten to death on August the 2nd, 2015. And his family are convinced that he was within 24 hours of flying back to Ireland and bringing the children with him because he felt that he was the family believe that there were major concerns over her mental health status and her increasingly bizarre behaviour. Goodness me, okay. And uh, thank you for that, Ralph. And your book, by the way, that's still in print? Still available? My brother Jason, yeah, yeah, it is. is. There was an updated edition brought out just after the last... 
after the last court of appeal hearing. So, so it, it should still be around. All right, because it's a great, certainly it's a great route, read, and it, it outlines uh, everything that happened and the lead up to it. Uh, listen, Ralph, a pleasure as always. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining thanks. us. Good Honor morning to. Bye bye, bye bye. That is uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent and co-author of that book, My uh, Brother Jason. Tim says Americans do not allow themselves to be found guilty. They'll always find another court who will reverse a guilty verdict. Look at the Foxy Noxy case, even though that was tried in Italy. Think of the wife of the diplomat spy who crashed and a youth died, says Tim. The Americans will always look after their own. Now, yesterday, so many of our listeners were touched by the young Galway mother, Aoife Moore, who joined us. One year on, she's still suffering from her COVID-19 diagnosis, which started on St. Patrick's Day last year. Aoife was calling for more support and more treatment for people suffering from what is now termed long COVID. Fine Gael's health spokesperson, Colin Burke, joins me to discuss what needs to be put in place for people who are and continue to cough, suffer from long COVID. Good morning to you, Colin. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Because it is such a relatively new, new virus, do doctors simply not fully understand how to treat people who remain with symptoms long after the original diagnosis? Sorry, um, it's clear from the studies now completed and it was a study done in King's College in London which shows that 5% of people that got um, COVID um, are suffering from long COVID and that's a very conservative estimate. Um, Channel 4 last night uh, did a programme on it and they were talking about up to 10% of people who have COVID are now suffering from long COVID. And I suppose when we're talking about long COVID, we're talking about and things like chronic fatigue, joint pains, breathlessness, what they call brain fog, um, which is, a, I suppose, a, it's about an, an inability to have a sharp memory, unable to think clearly. Um, you could have lung damage. Um, so these are all of the issues that arise in relation to long COVID. Um, in the UK, they've set up um, 60 clinics to deal with it. Now, I know we're talking about big numbers there, but even if you take 5% of 200, over 225,000 people have contracted COVID here in Ireland, and if you even took 5% of that, that's over 10,000 people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And, and they're spread all <clears throat> over the country. Absolutely, and I think we now need to have joined up thinking on this, and that's why um, on this weekend I had, I've called for... Um, special uh, clinics to be opened to deal with this. Um, I've also put a number of questions to the Minister. I got back uh, responses from the HSE were saying that, that those ongoing studies, but I think the studies are clear. The information is certainly there from the UK. I'm not sure what I know some of the hospitals in Dublin may have um, started dealing with it on, a, on an organised basis, but I really think that we need to look at this issue. There And remember as well, over 27,000 healthcare staff contracted COVID. So there were people at the front line and they were people that now who have long COVID deserve our full support. And I think it's important that we start looking at this issue. And I intend to continue raising this matter. Um, and I intend to continue raising it with the Minister and with the Department of Health and the HSE to try and get a structure in place to deal with uh, people who have these symptoms. Yeah, and the, you're right, there especially needs to be a duty of care to healthcare workers. I mean, they picked up COVID while they went to work. Absolutely, and like 
then that's a rough estimate of 27,000. Um, it may be higher than that, but even if you take 27,000, 5% of 27,000, it's still a lot of people. And I think, you know, there have been people who've been extremely dedicated and committed um, uh, to providing health care um, to the rest of the population in very difficult um, circumstances and as a result um, contracted COVID. And I think we need to be conscious of that. And does the symptoms of long COVID, does it vary from patient to patient? Absolutely, that's the information. I'm not a medical expert and I'm not holding myself out as a medical expert. But it was interesting last night, the Channel 4 programme uh, was on at 8 o'clock last night. It was a very interesting programme because there had a number of people who had or who have long COVID. And it was just really, really devastating to look on of the symptoms that they still have and the challenges that they have. Um a number of months on um, and I think it is and remember you know anyone say for instance who was in ICU for a period of time you know the, the entire system is drained um, you're there trying to uh, fight a virus um, and um, you know you're, you're all of the organs in your body are affected in one way or another so it, it does leave a lasting effect in some people and um, I think we now have an obligation to go and help those people and make sure that we provide the proper level of care that they require. Well, Aoife Moore, the young mother who spoke with us uh, yesterday, she was calling for regional post-COVID clinics. I mean, she lives in a very rural area of Galway and, you know, her fear is that everything will be centralised to Dublin and to Cork, which isn't of much use to her in Galway. But she was saying a multidisciplinary approach is needed. Well, that was the evidence in the UK programme last night um, and I've been doing some research in the UK and it's multidisciplinary because you can also have people who um, suffer from depression um, and I think that's um, that's something that has to be taken into account so it's not one um, size fits all it's it's something that there's a number of different areas of medicine um, will have to be joined up together to try and deal with um, this challenge but I think you know uh, you're talking about clinics I think we should have one in each of the um, HSE mm. uh, like say for instance you have the South South West group you have various different areas of the HSE I think it's eight or nine so I think if you had at least one clinic in each of those areas I think it's the way to deal with it and at least then you can have people as well being doing research on how to manage it and looking at research that has already been done in both in the United States and in the UK on this issue and the best way of management. And we need these clinics sooner rather than later, Colin? Absolutely, and I think it's it's one of the things I find sometimes in healthcare here in Ireland. We, while the medical people want and the nursing people, uh, staff want to react immediately, there's a slow um, reaction within the system. And I always give the the example of someone who worked in London back in the 90s and they had a, a huge new problem in there and that a whole lot of immigrants in from Somalia. Um, and there was a particular medical issue um, that arose and within six months they had a particular clinic set up to deal with that. They came back to Ireland and one of the things that they noticed is they were working in eternity that there was a hu- they were working in Dublin, there was a huge number of teenage pregnancies and one of the things they wanted to do was set up a teenage pregnancy clinic and it was 10 years later before it was set up. So I think we need to react far faster yeah. to the changing needs 
and this is something that we shouldn't be pushing down the road. It's something that I certainly intend working on and hopefully that we can get some progress in this matter. Yeah, because I think the problem has now been identified. Let's let's get it sorted. OK, uh, columnist, and thank you for that. OK, thank And thanks you, uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Fianna Gael Dáil Deputy Colin Burke. And just on the breaking news coming out of the EU to do with vaccines, the European Commission has agreed to accelerate delivery of the BioNTech Pfizer COVID vaccine with 10 million doses for the second quarter of the year. And the second quarter is April, May, June. The one the 10 million doses will be drawn forward from the option of the 100 million doses that the, we were expecting to get across the EU in quarter three and quarter four of this year. So they'll fast track. So that certainly is a bit of good news. 10 million extra doses will be available for April, May and June. And that's for the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. By the way, for people who normally collect their social welfare payments on a Wednesday, uh, tomorrow being a bank holiday here for St. Patrick's Day, arrangements have been put in place by On Post and the Department of Social Welfare and Welfare and Pension Payments due on St. Patrick's Day. You can collect them from post offices today, the 16th, or you can wait and go in on the 18th. And those that are paid directly into bank accounts, they should arrive in your bank account today instead of tomorrow. OK, that's the special arrangement just for this week for St. Patrick's Day. And then Mike in Mill Street was on to us to say he needs to travel. They're trying to buy a house in Killarney and they need to travel. The auctioneer wants them to come to do a viewing of the house. But Mike is a bit concerned that if he gets stopped by the Gardaí, he obviously... Mill Street to Tralee. He's outside his 5k and he's wondering is that deemed an essential journey? I I didn't even realise that auctioneers were doing house viewings. I know there was virtual house viewings going on but it's impossible obviously if you're about to buy a house you're not going to buy a house having just seen it virtually online so I accept that you have to go and see the house. So I would take from that that you know the fact that you are travelling I would bring something with you Mike by way of a text from the auctioneer or a letter from the auctioneer to say that you're going to view a house in case you are stopped. But I certainly, my gosh, would tell me that that's an essential journey because you're going to view the house. But if you want to be doubly sure, I would put a call through to your local Angarda Siakona and ask them. Uh, but Mike contacted us to see has anybody else been in the same situation? And did you travel outside of your 5K in order to view a house? Uh, let us know, please. 1850 Now, we got an email in from a listener. These, some of these emails are really, really distressing. Um, just to see if we can offer this lady any bit of support or any bit of advice. She's asked me not to call out her name or her contact details, which obviously we won't. But it says, hello, Patricia. I'm wondering, can you help me? I'm a lady in desperate need to talk to somebody. I fell ill over 10 years ago with brain tumours. It's a long term illness. The doctors can only cut them back, but they can't remove them. My husband of 50 years simply is not able to deal with this and he's now drinking very heavily. Anything I do for him is simply not good enough. He's always shouting at me. I get tired very easily because of my condition and I'm on a lot of medication. I can't ask our family doctor because he and my husband are best buddies. Do you or any of your listeners know of any counsellors that could help me, please? 
God, isn't that so sad? Uh, all I would say is that this lady is contacting us. She's in the, the West Cork uh, area. My initial, when, when I read it first, I mean, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking to that the husband isn't coping, obviously, with the diagnosis and has turned to the demon drink. But then because he's turned to the demon drink, he's taken it out on this woman who is just has enough on her plate trying to deal with her diagnosis and the medication she's on and the tiredness that comes with the medication. And then to have somebody shouting at you because everything that you're trying to do, you're doing wrong, is just not uh, good enough. It really isn't. My initial thoughts were but I don't know if this is the right way to point you because I don't know when you say tumours they could be benign tumours but if they were cancerous tumours could you go to the Irish Cancer Society because they certainly offer a lot of support and they offer counselling support but then if they're not cancerous tumours maybe I'm pointing you in the wrong dire- direction but if, if it is a diagnosis and the, and the tumours are cancer Certainly the Irish Cancer Society, they have a free phone number, one eight hundred two hundred seven hundred, or you can email support line at irishcancersociety.ie. Um, failing that, I, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss. So we'll put it out there, particularly bearing in mind that she's in the West Cork area. Would anybody know, could anybody point her in the direction? She just, she says she desperately needs to talk to somebody. I think she feels if she gets to a counsellor, they might be able to offer her advice. If it is drink related, would somebody like Alanon uh, be able to help you? Would they have the skill set to be able to advise you? Because I think... You've got, I mean, you've got two things going on. You're trying to deal with your own health issues, but you're also now dealing with somebody who's abusing alcohol and through the alcohol you're being abused because that is uh, abuse to have somebody that unwell and to have somebody constantly shouting uh, at you. You certainly do uh, need help. And, you know, I know you say my husband of 50 years can't uh, deal with it and he's drinking very heavily, but drinking very heavily is not going to sort out the problems you have uh, for sure. My heart absolutely goes out to you. If you've got any advice, please, we'll call our listener Anna for the sake of, I know when people are text if people want to text in with words of advice or are calling us we'll just call her Anna That's, as I say that is not her real name but if anyone can offer advice to Anna as to what she can do I mean she desperately needs help she feels it's counsellors because she just feels that she needs to talk to somebody I suppose to share the burden with somebody and, and we all know you know a problem shared is a, is a problem halved but I'm hoping also that somebody will be able to not just listen to her but will be able to advise her on to do because that has to stop I mean that's it's I'm calling it out as abuse because and look okay you can feel sorry for the man that he's not able to cope with his wife's diagnosis but not able to cope with his wife's diagnosis and you know that has happened and people will bury their head in the sand but turning to drink and then taking it out on her because she has these inoperable brain tumours that's not her fault that's 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 not right. It simply is not right. If anybody can help us there or help Anna, please, 1850-333-103. And then I've had a couple of people on with regard to Mary Lou MacDonald. And Mary Lou is calling out Leo Varadkar. 
Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou is seeking an urgent meeting with the Taoiseach Micheál Martin uh, regarding her call for the Tánaiste Leo Varadkar to be sacked over the leaking of, confide- of the confidential document. Uh, earlier she accused Leo Varadkar of an abuse of power when he was Taoiseach and she says he must resign. Yesterday Gardaí confirmed that an investigation is underway into the circumstances surrounding the disclosure of this confidential government document and of course it was passed on to a friend of Leo Varadkar about two years ago, the head of the IMO, Dr Matthew O'Toole. The Tornishta told the Dáil he gave a copy of the agreement between the state and the Irish Medical Organisation to Matthew O'Toole. Oh, sorry, Matthew O'Toole was then president of a rival GP organisation, which was the National Association of uh, GPs. And it happened back in April of 2019. Leo Varadkar has apologised, he did at the time, and he said he was acting in the interest of having the contract passed and getting a buy-in from all of the GPs and that was the excuse he used. The guard, the investigation team will determine the facts surrounding the incident and gather f- uh, further evidence for a file which could then be submitted to the Director of Public Prosecution. In a statement, Mary Lou MacDonald says the Thánaiste has only remained in office because Fianna Fáil, the Greens and a number of independents are keeping him there. She said he gave a cock and bull story to the Dáil in November and has been forced to change his story repeatedly as more and more information has come to uh, light and she reckons that the Fine Gael leader must go. Well, a couple of people reacting on that. Uh, Sean by email says, I recall the late Hugh Coveley, happy memory, of something he did in a sim- what something he did in a similar situation to Leo Varadkar when he was a government minister. He inadvertently revealed some information on an energy contract I think and had a conflict of interest he realised he shouldn't have done it and of his own volition immediately offered his resignation contrast this accountability responsibility and integrity with Leo Varadkar's lack of any of these notable qualities and we ask why do we have a democratic deficit first requirement for any position is trust who would people trust comparing these two men's actions? And that's signed by Sean, uh, emailing Patricia at c103.ie. So I take it from that, Sean would also want Leo Varadkar to resign. And then Michael has a different view, but he's taking Mary Lou MacDonald to task for calling out Leo Varadkar. And he says, every time Mary Lou sees a microphone, we hear more of the same old, same old rant. Have yet to hear her come out with something helpful or constructive to the country. No help to the government, only cause maximum destruction. She has adopted a Mitch McConnell approach. She and her band of political warriors are now demanding the sacking of the Thornish to Leo Varadkar because the Gardaí are investing him in relation to a crime, the leaking of a confidential document. Funnily enough, if it wasn't serious. I have just heard a reporter either on radio or TV ask her why didn't she demand the sacking of Jerry Adams when the PSNI was investing him for a crime re Jean McConville's murder thanking you and that's from Michael in uh, Castletown Bear so uh, two opposing views so should Leo, Leo the leak has been trending yet again uh, should he actually be forced to uh, resign should he do what the late Hugh Coveney did as soon as he realised the error of his ways rather than just apologise he actually resigned 1850 Pat wants to know did anybody else notice and I don't know who it was the newsreader who was on the TV last night she definitely had her hair done 
she went to the hairdresser there's no doubt about it said uh, Pat myself and John Paul were talking about this when that text came in and we were both making the point that a lot of those TV presenters and news readers are very good at doing their own hair as a makeup so it is very possible that they did their own hair and uh, makeup I tell you what I'll get I'll get John Paul to email RTE and to ask do they have full time hair and makeup artists in the building four staff or four guests. I do remember we discussed this before with uh, Tommy Tiernan when the author uh, was on and she had said when Tommy Tiernan was saying how well she looked she had said well she had said she had a bit of Botox done but she had also said that she referenced a art a makeup artist in RTE who had done her makeup for her so I don't know if they're permanently there or not. But listen, we'll send an email off to RTE just to find out for their own staff and for their guests as well. Are they providing hair and makeup that they normally would do when people appear on TV? And one of the reasons for that is there has to be very special makeup for TV, certainly. I don't know how many ladies would have the type of makeup that you need for TV because the men even have to wear the makeup or else they'll all look very washed out. So we'll check in with RT and just see if we get an answer back to find out are they providing hair and makeup artists for their newsreaders and for their presenters. 1850 Hi Patricia, my granddaughter is in the UK and is overjoyed to be back at school. The school she attends are testing students every two weeks in rotation. Would that not be something that we could consider in our schools? And yesterday, remember I spoke with Des O'Dowd, the owner of the Inchidani Lodge and Spa Hotel, and they've introduced antigen testing for their staff and a number of other people were saying we should be doing a lot more of that and a lot of the experts as well have come out and said we should be doing it and I know Ty Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland when we were looking at nursing homes opening up to allow visitors back in and we know from the 22nd there will be a small number of visitors allowed in which is very welcome news but the Nursing Homes Association they were saying you know why don't we put in antigen testing like the the results you do the test there and then and the results are back I think in 15 minutes and it would just give an extra layer of safety and an extra tool in the box. So yeah, I'm all for that type of uh, testing. Um, absolutely. Uh, John says, Patricia, we don't have to have anybody ranting about horse trainers and jockeys going to Cheltenham. Please come to Carrigaline. There doesn't seem to be any level five lockdown here. Even the ice cream van was around having visited all of the parks in the city selling cones. Uh, that how much of that is lockdown, says uh, John. There are too many people still out and about. 1850-333-103. And a listener is reacting to Anne who contacted her who said she personally knows of two people who went yesterday to Cheltenham. They're going over for the crack. Now they won't be able to get in and watch the horse racing because that's only limited to the jockeys, the trainers and the staff, nobody else is allowed in and there's huge COVID safety procedures inside in Cheltenham but the, the people that Anne knows they've decided they're just going to go over to Cheltenham anyway for the crack. So when the Irish come back into this country, and I don't know how many others are going to do that, but when they come back from Cheltenham, they won't have to head to quarantine for two weeks. It is a joke. Other people have to quarantine for two weeks and pay for it themselves. The virus is an excuse for the government. I've said it before. Two t- it's two years now that St. Patrick's Day has been cancelled. No other country are in lockdown as bad as we are here. Racing must be essential, but clothes shops are not. But how, but have, but how we know the government has 
have but sure, sure we know the government must have shares in those horses if this government think that people will sit in on St Patrick's Day the government needs to think again you said that masks and hand cleaning and everything is working so why are we still in lockdown well unfortunately we're still in lockdown because the numbers are still too high but when you talk about people you're saying some people will come into quarantine for two weeks and have to pay for it th- themselves they, you're talking about the hotel quarantine. Can I tell you, because I know someone yesterday asked me to check this out. The government's deadline was yesterday for getting the mandatory hotel quarantine system up and running. And unfortunately, that's been missed. The Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, said he's unable to definitely state when it's actually going to happen. And by the way, it's now 10 weeks 10 weeks since the government promised that hotel quarantine would be introduced on people coming from countries where we know there is a lot of COVID-19 and countries where we particularly know that there is new strains of it and they're the, they're the strains that we want to keep out. So 10 weeks ago they said yes we're going to introduce hotel quarantine and then they said oh well, we've a bit of a delay because we have to pass legislation. So they passed legislation that was passed by the Dáil two weeks ago and we were told when it passed within two weeks the hotels would be up and running that two week deadline passed yesterday and we still don't have hotel quarantine 1850 333 103 C103 Jobs In Chidani Island Lodge and Spa they're now recruiting for accounts assistant food and beverage supervisors chefs receptionists therapists spa and waiting staff kitchen porters and house assistants admin Personnel is wanted for a part-time position. That's at Cronin's Hardware. That's in Ballylecky. While experienced carers are wanted to work in the Clonakilty area. And top line, Murphy and O'Connor in Bantry. They are looking for a sales assistant. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Cork people can now monitor the quality of the air across the city following the launch of a website that examines pollutants in their local atmosphere. And it's done in real time to tell us more about the Cork City Air Quality Dashboard. I'm joined by Green Party Councillor Dan Boyle. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning. And you're, you're welcome. Can you outline how this website works and what pollutants does it check for? Well, well the main pollutants uh, are what are referred to as particulate matter. Uh, and uh, it, it's particulate matter 2.5, which is the degree of magnification that takes place to identify them. Uh, I suppose we live in an age now that many of the pollutants that we experience are unseen. So the uh, technology we need to measure it needs to be quite precise uh, and it's important information to have. Um, the, the, there are a number of, of uh, smaller scale monitors that have been placed around the city, 11 in the city and three just outside it in uh, Passage, Monkstown and Ringeskiddy. Uh And what they do is they, they measure for these pollutants in the air, which are, if they exist for a particular time period, uh, would... would uh, compromise people's health uh, and certainly for people with already compromised health, uh, certain readings would, would put them uh, at earlier risk. So the the idea of the monitors and the idea of the dashboard, uh, which is access to a website, corkairquality.ie is to give real-time information as to whether the risk is, exists or not. 
Cork has a problem, Cork City has a problem in the sense that it's a valley uh, and uh, inversion happens a lot. And inversion means that at times of low temperatures and, and low wind, uh, that the smoke that's created by various sources, but mainly by domestic fires, tends to rest in the valley uh, and creates a higher health risk than that would normally exist. And this is supposed to give people the information they need and, and where possible give whatever confidence people need that the air quality is, is uh, being checked and uh, being improved to the best quality it can be. Is it the first of its kind in Ireland? Yeah, I, I believe it is. And uh, we're also engaging in a public consultation uh, on an air quality management plan, I believe, with a lo- first local authority to be doing that as well. There, there is also a national consultation taking place at the moment through Eamon Ryan's department about national regulations on the sale of, of fuels that carry higher polluting risks. And uh, we've known about smoky coal for a while, but uh, the proposal is to add uh, peat to this list uh, with the exception of that people uh, are, are able to uh, collect themselves from their private plots uh, and wet wood, uh, which is a, a, a another uh, significant risk. Uh, what happens is when these uh, particular fields are, are, are burnt uh, and they're, they are obviously the, the, the easily access fields for people, and that brings up other questions as well, but they create the higher pollutant risks uh, and the the other danger, I suppose, is is that uh, people try to access the fuels that cost least expense to them, uh, but they're also the least heat efficient, so they're they're they end up paying more. So we we're, we're trying to create a situation where people's access to fuel is what can meet their budget needs as well as their heat needs. Well, it's giving them the best the best uh, heat. And does air quality does it vary across the city? Yeah, there are particular points where the inversion is worse than others, and and uh, I, I, my, my bailiwick is the South Central City Ward, uh, it turns across Valley Behan. Uh, that tends to have quite a bad reading. Uh, Mahan tends to have a bad reading. Um, Meyer tends to have a bad reading. The Northwest City, uh, Notnahini tends to have a bad reading. When all the the ducks are in a row and and the the risks are at their highest. So what the uh, dashboard does is uh, make sure that we, we, we have pre-warning where possible uh, that the risks are, are bad and that uh, people should either avoid putting on domestic fires or they should avoid going out uh, at, at times when the air pollution and the air quality is at, is at its worst. So who do you believe would most benefit from using the dashboard? Well, uh, obviously, people with uh, respiratory conditions, uh, people with uh, who are immunocompromised, uh, but I think the general health of, of the organisation, a, a bit like anything, uh, what we breathe in, if, if, if it's of a poor quality, if it's of a damaging quality, it not only ruins our quality of life, it undermines our ability to live longer. Uh, and uh, I think a local authority has a responsibility to make sure that those risks are reduced uh, and, and where possible removed and uh, I'd like to think Cork City Council has been proactive in this. Did the air quality improve during the first lockdown with less traffic? Because I'm assuming traffic attributes as well. Well, yes, we do get air pollutant risks from traffic and it, 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 it's usually heavy traffic and it's traffic that's stalled. Um, traffic lights or traffic jams would be considerable risks um, and, and we do have a higher risk when that happens. Um, but the biggest risk is still from domestic fires because okay. that, that's a constant. 
and uh, the air quality management plan we're putting in place is trying to do a lot of things. For instance, one of the things being proposed is that uh, a public awareness campaign on idling engines, which people do to keep warm in their cars and things like that, but it's creating an unnecessary risk for people outside of the cars and the outside environment. So, you know, trucks, buses, cars, people on school runs, when you idle your engines, you're not helping the rest of society. And that's the type of message we need to get out there as well. Okay, a listener, when they heard you were coming on, contacted us earlier. So, Hi Patricia, I heard you're going to be talking about air pollution on the programme today. I have a major issue where I live in Bandon. Just the other day, I noticed a wall in our living room looked like it was dirty. Now, I paint our house every year. I decided to clean the wall and I was astonished at the black that came off it. Our ceilings are also the same. We don't light fires in our homes, but we do have wall vents in each room. Right throughout the winter, I've noticed I was coughing quite a bit and smelling chimney smoke inside our own house. I've also noticed soot falling from some of our neighbours' chimneys. Can anything be done about this? I was thinking of blocking the vents, but that won't solve the pollution problem outside. Any advice you could give would be most uh, welcome. Is that pollution coming from outside? You can't block the vents though, uh, Dan. No, I think it would be very counterproductive. I mean, one thing we know in the COVID situation is that ventilation is extremely important in a house uh, and we, we, we need to keep recycling, uh, not recycling air, but making sure that the air uh, has a throughput and that uh, it's fresh and that uh, contaminants are moving away with it rather than being confined into a space. So uh, closing up your vents would, would cause an unnecessary danger. But I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the case in point. Uh, I, I know that uh, where I'm staying, uh, I, I have a chimney that I, I can't and, and don't use because uh, the, the chimney itself is damaged. But I know that... Um, adjoining housing that, that uses the chimney uh, causes smoke to come in through that into my house. So uh, it's a problem with old houses, old chimneys, uh, and uh, uh, you know, people, I, I think it's probably only civil law that uh, could change that. I mean, people have a, a responsibility to neighbours to make sure that uh, how they heat their house isn't, isn't affecting other people. Uh, and uh, I, I think maybe the county council in Bandon may have a responsibility to to look into um, the breach of air quality that might be happening there. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's not an isolated situation and it's something we need to look at in terms of when we're retrofitting our housing. Uh, the fact that uh, the vents we use to, to heat our housing in the past, they're, they're long past their, their, their sell-by date and we, we need to reconfigure our housing a lot more differently. Okay, and this uh, new dashboard that's gone live, was that is it a costly initiative to get it up and running for the council? Well, no, no, well, I, I think a website uh, has cost in terms of establishing itself, but it, it's more the time of, of uh, linking it in with the monitors uh, that that work is done uh, and uh, making sure that uh, it, it's fully functioning on an ongoing basis. This is an add-on to the service that the EPA offers. Uh, we have a number of EPA monitors in Cork Harbour and in Cork City, but very few. Uh, we... we um, we have two in Cove. We, we have one in, in the North Mall where the Irish distillery site is, and we have one in UCC. Uh, and and uh, why they monitor for more pollutants uh, and are more sophisticated, they uh, they don't give it proper coverage, I would argue. So the, these these uh, fourteen other monitors, mostly in the city, uh, they're they're known. There are what are known as uh, purple air monitors, uh, and there's. Um, 
a website that shows these internationally so you can compare air quality in your own area to what's happening internationally. So I'd advise people if they have an interest in the air quality on an ongoing basis to also look up purpleair.com to see how this information is being gathered around the world. Okay, and it's corkairquality.ie. Would you like to see similar websites rolled out across the country? I would, uh, and uh, I would like people to... uh, give their views uh, on the air quality management plan that the City Council is putting together at the moment. We, we have up until um, March 31st to get submissions on that uh, and uh, the, the, the hope would be that we have uh, the first air quality management plan for a local authority in place soon after that. Uh, I think it's important. We, we've had a bad week uh, about 10 days ago that was partially linked to Saharan dust that was in the atmosphere. Uh, but it, it, we, we've we've had a lot of experiences over the last six months to show that uh, when air quality does get poor, it gets quite poor in Cork. So the, there's a shared onus on us, I think, to make sure that we're properly informed and we act collectively to make sure that we have the best possible air quality we can have around in our area. Okay. All right. We leave it there. Uh, Dan, listen, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Cork City Councillor Dan Boyle. And if you're living in the city and you want to check your air quality, are you going to be visiting an area of the city and you want to check the air quality? It's corkairquality.ie and it is recorded in real time. Back to uh, Leo Varadkar. And actually, somebody has taken me to task and says that I should, that they want me to refer to Arthonista in the correct way. So, Arthonista, Leo Varadkar. Uh, John and Donovan says, I am not. Sinn Féin supporter but I'm glad that Mary Lou Macdonald did ask the question about Leo Varadkar on if he should go. If this was a private company we would have the words of breach of contract insider trading phrase, f- phrases would all be used it would simply not be tolerated within the private sector so why should it be tolerated in the public sector? Mio Martin has the power to ask Leo Varadkar to at least step aside. I feel Leo Varadkar should at least while under investigation. The truth is none of them want an election or a fallout within the parties. And Kate says, listening to what's going on with Leo Varadkar in this Garda investigation, it wasn't so long ago that we hit Golfgate. And now we have this. It's like Animal Farm in Leinster House. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The three in a row, all Ireland winning Shandrum Cayley Band are honoured to be performing for this year's St. Patrick's Festival. The North Cork based band were delighted to have the beautiful backdrop of Donnerail Estate for a very special recording and to find out more I'm joined by the leader of the Cayley Band and that is Alan Finn. Good morning to you Alan. I'm very well and it's always great uh, to talk to you. Now, explain to me how this recording came about. Well, uh, we got an email from the St. Patrick's Festival um, asking would we be interested in putting a video together for the St. Patrick's Day festivities. Um, So that's kind of all the information I was given until they kind of kind of gave me more information. Let's say they could like base enough we can actually take it upon ourselves to get our own cameramen and our own venue and stuff like that because of travel restrictions. So we were given about a three-week window to do the recording. So I kind of was, I wanted to keep it local. So that's how John Record came into it. And then we got Cal O'Callaghan in from Cantor to do the video work for the band. So we did a 15-minute segment. In. So um, then we just sent it off in into the Parish Festival and now it's been shown at 
two o'clock tomorrow. Fantastic. And what, did you record inside and outside Donnerell Court? Yeah, um, we we did three sets of tunes. We did a set of reels, a set of slides, and another set of reels with a dancer. And what we done was we actually recorded fully inside first, um, inside in one of the large rooms inside Donnerell Court because we had to space out social distance and all that. Like so. And then we actually recorded outside in as well. So then Cal, the videographer, kind of mashed it all together and it kind of came out. It came out fairly cool, now, to be fair. So, so he did a great job. But interesting, it had to be done with full COVID guideline restrictions in place. Yeah, as in we, the, band, like, the band hadn't played together for a year at this stage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our last, our last gig was actually nearly a year to the day that we were recording in Donald Court. So we'd practice online, we'd practice on Zoom. So I sent the tunes out to the lads and kind of explained to them what needs to be done. So what we did then was like we were all in a Zoom call and they just all muted themselves and I played and they just played along with me. It wasn't ideal, but it kind of worked out fine. And then the staff at Donald Court were brilliant then as well because um, they had sanitising stations. We kind of aired the room out kind of every 10, 15 minutes or so. Yeah. But it was, it was only just um, the 10 band members and the videographer and the dancer at the end. Well, so it was kind of all, we had um, one of the caretakers from Donald Court um, helping with us. And she was very good now. She kind of they had her own kind of COVID guidelines made out. And the same part successful had sent me guidelines as well, just to, just to ensure distancing and masks being worn and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, thank God everything went off. Okay, I may have thought it. Kamir, what was it like to play together live after a year? <laughs> I mean, uh, Kamir, it was a bit of a shock note. Was it? What was it? Because, <laughs> uh, like, none of us have played, like, none of us have played music kind of in person, really, with, with another musician for a year, like, so it was funny we kind of we kind of got into we, we, we started and about 30 seconds in like we all just kind of looked at each other and started laughing kind of going well we definitely haven't lost this in a way you know yeah, yeah. it took about 30 seconds for us to kind of get going you know that was kind of just the first practice run and then after that it was like we never left but a magical okay, feeling know? a magical feeling I imagine oh no it was brilliant and like the the backdrop of the house was amazing and the sound inside in the house was was amazing as well so like the whole lot of that kind of added to the whole occasion of the thing, which really helps because, you know, after not playing for a year and things like that, I think sure we were kind of all excited and kind of half worried, like how we'd sound and stuff like that. But yeah, it all worked out after, Brilliant. as I said, after 20 seconds, then we kind of got back into the mojo again. Like, yeah, and the acoustics, because it's, anyone who hasn't been in Donnerell Court, it, as you say, it's big rooms, but big high ceilings. Big, yeah, very high ceilings. Um, we used the kind of, what do they call it? The, it's kind of the drawing room. The drawing room, room yeah, yeah. So, as in, we felt, we felt very grand all together. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, as in, see, that room was the largest there. And then, like, we had to make sure that we were able to ventilate the room. So there was windows at the top of the room that we could open as well. So, like, we were, we were well spaced out. Uh, such, such strange uh, times in which we live it was but it's been actually for the cameraman he actually remarked that because we were spaced out he got better shots huh. because he was able to kind of he was actually able to walk in between the bend yeah. while we were playing and you were, you were able to get better individual shots because we were kind of more spaced out because normally when we play like we'd all be sitting on top of each other mm. nearly. do you know what I mean because like you'd be kind of mashed onto a stage or anything like that but it's in with, with the room that we had in Donald Courtland's like we were well able to space out and it actually came across very well 
like I was afraid that the sound would kind of get a bit lost. But because of the acoustics in the room, the, being spread out actually helped the acoustics. Brilliant. There's always so, a positive. There's always yeah, a positive. Tell me, tell me about the, the dancing champion who joined you. Uh, Keen Broderick from Rock Chapel in County Cork. Um, he, he won the Shinos, I think the under-15 Shinos title in 2017, the same year, to the same year that the band won the Trina Row. Okay. In 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 Innes and Keen would be a member of Fremont Coltis where I teach and he'd be a member of the the Crossfields band that that would that would have won underage All Ireland titles throughout the years. So Keen, I can remember when Keen was when we were doing the closing concert in Innes. I asked Keen to dance at the closing concert where the Shandon were playing. We were playing the closing concert of the All Ireland Flower on the Monday, and Keen danced with us for that concert. And he brought the house down, and ever since then, any time we're playing any concerts that we were, that we were doing before COVID and things like that, Keen would be asked. So he was the natural choice again to get him like brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. So and when, when do we and how do we get to see it? Uh, it's on at two o'clock tomorrow, and it's on Aroctus TV. But it's also been streamed through the Saint Patrick's Festival website as well, which is online. Yeah, it's going, yeah, it's going online. And it's, I, I, to be honest about it, there, there's a couple of different ways of doing it. So I'm kind of even. I know this is on Aroctus TV in America, and that's okay. the way I'm going to watch it. Yeah, and mo- most people will be able to access Aroctus TV yeah, on on, the, yeah. on their own TVs. So it's it's a very different St Patrick's Day uh, for all of us, including yourselves. You played during Barack Obama's tenure. <laughs> did you Did you make it to Washington? <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I in 2009. We, a couple of us were asked over, well, it, it was kind of strange how it kind of came about, but it was in, we travelled over and we actually played in the White House for um, Barack Obama and Michelle's first term in office um, at the White House. And Joe Biden was there and Hillary Clinton was there. So That's incredible. Yeah, so looking back, it was a bit, um, it was, it was a bit overwhelming now, if I'm being honest about it. Like, yeah. you, looking back in the notes, it was fairly amazing. Like, so... Yeah, we went over and we played on St. Patrick's Day in the White House. And did you do other gigs when you were over there? No. Just no, that just one. that one. Whoa. It, was, it, was just, it was just that one. So it was, kind of a, it was kind of a flying visit more than anything else. you know. And even we didn't get proper confirmation that we were going over there until about a week and a half beforehand. So even the build-up was a bit of a rush because we had to get kind of a show together and we had to kind of organise what we were playing. And well, listen, no, getting, be- no better things. man, Alan. No yeah. no better man. <laughs> and actually, there was a lovely text in saying when you're speaking with Alan Finn on the programme, uh, looking forward to hearing the band on St. Patrick's Day. Alan, it was a pleasure to hear you all recording at Donnerell Court. Brighter days to come. And that's from everyone at Donnerell Court. That's a oh, really that's nice message. Okay. okay. All right, we will all look forward to that tomorrow at two o'clock. In the meantime, Alan, happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Uh, stay safe and we will speak again. Yep, thanks a million. Thanks a million for having me on and happy St. Patrick's Day. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Alan Finn, leader of the Shandrum Kayleigh Band. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just a couple of things that we were looking into off air. We had a tweet yesterday from Peter about the school bus 
children went back to school yesterday all the primary children went back and in secondary school fifth years along the Leaving Cert class who were already in a school and Peter went, daughter headed out to get the school bus the school bus never showed up we contacted Bus Aaron who did say the school transport is operating and suggested that Peter contact his local school transport office and we're now being told uh, that Bus Aaron did make contact with Peter yesterday evening so we're assuming that got sorted and that Peter's daughter jumped on the bus this morning and then we were also trying to sort out the problem for Hannah in Cecilstown who had contacted us yesterday because she has one of those pay-as-you-go phones with air and she had bought her top up on Friday put it in but never got a message back to say it had been topped up so she contacted air to see what was going on and she told us that the message said that she had to respond to them by tweet because all of them were working from home and she's not on Twitter and she was all in a bit of a pickle and she didn't know what to do so we said we'd get on to air on Hannah's behalf to see if we could sort out her top up so we did get on to air and now they've sorted out the problem with Hannah but they do want to point out that they're not telling people that everybody has to contact them by by Twitter if you listen fully to the message they do explain that their staff are working from home so therefore the best way of contacting them is either through email are by sending them a tweet. But if you stay on the line or you can press different options, uh, you will eventually get through to somebody from air, a, a person who will speak to you. They're not pushing everybody. They're just saying the quickest way to do it is by email or uh, Twitter because so many are working from at home. And air tell us that the average wait times at the moment are below five minutes. So Hannah obviously misunderstood the message when she heard it. So that has been sorted out. So just to just to fill people in on that because we mentioned it yesterday. And then Anne in McCroom has a bit of a bone of contention about the current lockdown and she's wondering are others feeling the same as her. She's noticed in some of the larger supermarkets they're selling all kinds of different items, things that really are not just the essentials and we're told that when lockdown happened all the non-essential shops and therefore all the smaller shops had to close and she feels that this is a little bit unfair Most, some of the supermarkets you go into you can buy things like curtains you can buy any items for the bedroom you can buy duvets you can buy lampshades you can buy what else have I seen on sale you can buy a vase you can buy picture frames lots and lots of things on sale she feels that this is very unfair on the smaller stores. The smaller stores have been forced to close and she believes now that this is unfair competition on the larger supermarkets and the larger chain stores. Also, she says, because these items are on sale, Anne has noticed that people, because they have nothing else to do, when they head out shopping, they're browsing and they're hanging around these shops because there's so many different items on sale. And she says, surely that's adding to it. I mean, the idea is that essential shops are open. You should be going in, doing your shopping get in and get out as quickly as possible and yesterday we touched on it when we were talking about in the certainly the first uh, lockdown there was a very strict rule of one person on a trolley and you were told not to bring anybody with you you know you wouldn't have a husband and wife going in with your trolley just have one person designated from the family to go in and more and more people yesterday certainly were contacting us saying that they're seeing whole families going in to do the weekly shop and that it's just making the supermarkets then much more busier and I also can't understand it because 
they head count everybody in. I mean, surely that's going to fill up the store. But uh, Anne has just noticed that, that on the two things, it's unfair competition. And, and I do feel really sorry for the smaller businesses. Many of them are doing their best to have an online presence. Not all of them can do that, but some are doing an online presence, but they're never going to get the same amount of business that they would get if their physical shop was open. But it is unfair is it unfair that the larger supermarkets and department stores can sell the items that normally you might have gone to your smaller shop to purchase and now you can't and therefore you're forced into these bigger stores instead. 1850 And thank you to a number of people who have responded to an email I read out earlier from a listener that we're just calling her Anna. She doesn't want her real, her real name or contact details. And we're just saying that she's in the West Cork area who wrote to us because she is desperate to talk to somebody. She fell ill about 10 years ago and she was diagnosed with brain tumours. It is a long-term illness. The doctors can't cut them away. So she has to live with these brain tumours. But she said her husband of 50 years is not able to to cope with her illness and because of that he's now drinking very heavily and she said in her email that anything that she does for him is never good enough and now he's shouting at her constantly and you know criticising everything that she is trying to do and she said she tires very easily and 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 I'm assuming it's because of the brain tumours but it's also she said she's on a lot of very heavy medication so she gets tired very easily and obviously this is frustrating uh, the husband as well and she can't speak with the family doctor because the family doctor is the best body of the husband and she wouldn't want the husband to know that she was in talking to the doctor about what's going on at home and she was wondering could listeners give her any advice or would we know of any counsellors that would be able to help her out. Well, a number of people have reacted. Anne says, a diagnosis like that can affect those around you. Sometimes she said something that she found found herself in the very same situation. She said, I ended up being the strongest person, but I was the one battling the illness. Now, my husband didn't, as Anna's husband has done, didn't turn to alcohol, but he did turn away from me as he simply couldn't deal with what I was going through with my illness. Instead, he decided to work late into the evening and he was hardly ever around. Now, after everything settled down, he said and admitted he simply could not cope with my illness. A lot of rural men, particularly of that age group, 50 plus, find it hard to talk about certain issues. And Anne says that was her experience and kind of sort of having an understanding of why Anna's husband is reacting the way he is reacting. And I agree, there are people who simply can't cope with their loved one becoming sick. But I think Anna's husband is going slightly a step further because to be shouting at her and anything she does is never good enough for her and not having any understanding of what she's going uh, going through almost to me is bordering on abuse. And I'm using that word. Anna certainly hasn't used uh, used that word. But thank you, Anne, and uh, for your compassion in trying to understand what the husband is going through. Miriam says, yes, I had suggested the Irish Cancer Society that they might be able to help. And Miriam agrees 100% the Irish Cancer Society will offer great advice to uh, uh, to Anna. They'll chat to her, even if the tumours are benign, because obviously a benign tumour can turn a cancer, so they certainly would be able to support that lady. And that's why I was suggesting to Anna at uh, 1-800-200-700. That's the number for, if you want to reach out to the Irish Cancer Society. And then Barbara has a lovely suggestion. Barbara says Cork Ark House are absolutely fantastic and they certainly will offer counselling as well. Barbara says our family went through cancer 
and sadly you're still going through cancer. Barbara says I'm going through it myself at the moment but they uh, they referred me to support groups and they offer so much help and support. My son passed away from cancer and at that time I was also supported through Ark House and of course Ark House are in West Cork and we know that Anne is in the West Cork area. They're in Bantry and Barbara says their number is 027 538 So Ark House in Bantry is certainly somewhere that Anna could reach out to and thank you Barbara for that and good luck on your uh, cancer journey and I really hope that you are doing okay and someone else said that if Anna was interested the community calls you know the weekly community calls she certainly could sign herself up for one of those and uh, the people at the community calls would be more than willing uh, to talk to her even if only on a weekly basis just to have somebody to listen to and you know sometimes that because she because she, uh, she said at the start of the email, I'm a lady in desperate need to talk to somebody. I think she just needs to to talk about what's going on in her life. So the community call might also be in another avenue. Thank you for that. Now on makeup and are are the RTE people do they have makeup and hair staff in? Because somebody reckoned whoever the newsreader was on TV last night certainly had been to the hairdressers. It looked like that they'd had a full wash cut and a blow dry. And Michael says for your information. RTE do have a makeup artist and a hairdresser live on every show even if it's just to touch up during the commercial break. I know because I have been there. You have to look perfect when you're live on air. The background team are massive. Just watch the credits roll at the end of any show. The makeup that they use is very heavy under studio uh, lighting and it's to make sure that you don't sweat says uh, Michael who has been to RTE so knows knows how it operates. But I'm wondering during Covid time are they still providing that kind of service I think that's the question that's been asked I would have thought under Covid times that many of them are possibly doing their own hair and makeup as well but you are right it is a very heavy makeup that they actually use and here's a good suggestion in from a listener that might help help our health service. Patricia, non-COVID consultations are not expected to resume any time soon. The HSE need to come up with a drastic set of solutions to try to help to reduce what is now huge waiting lists that have grown, especially during COVID. One solution might be to set up outpatient clinics similar to vaccination centres and set them up throughout the country. Starting with people who've been fully vaccinated, this would reduce further risk of spreading infections and help cut waiting times dramatically. What a great suggestion. Hope somebody from the HSE is uh, listening. And yeah, once a cohort of people, particularly the over 70s, once they're fully vaccinated, and many of them are on waiting lists to get in to get various conditions and to get procedures done. So open up special centres for them. Why not? Good suggestion indeed. Patricia, the government cannot give us a date on when they're going to reopen the country because they can't forecast the number. But why can't they at least say that numbers must be below, say, 50 a day for two weeks consistently or whatever number they decide and then let us know and that would all give us something to aim for so when we see the numbers falling we would know that we're getting closer and closer and closer to lockdown being removed Yeah, and it would give people a bit of hope I think that's what most people want is a little bit of hope that was the difference with Boris when Boris gave sort of around the same time that that the Taoiseach Michael Martin spoke to the nation about what's not could be happening, might be happening, 
definitely won't be happening well we'll take a look at it it might happen on the 5th of April but nobody knows uh, for sure the roadmap that Boris gave out was much clearer cut they gave actual dates of what they expect to happen and it is all dependent on the data that they have on the date but it did give a sense of hope it gave a very clear and defined roadmap I think our government are afraid to promise anything and then they'll have to roll back on it but I think if people understood that it was all dependent on the data just that sense of hope I think everybody needs something to to, uh, look forward to. And Esther queries these stats that we hear every day. How do we know if they're accurate? We are drip fed all of these numbers for what for whatever reason. But is there access to the data? I'm dubious about some of them, says uh, Esther, who queries some of the data and the numbers that we hear every day. 1850 Hi, Patricia. In regards to Anna, who is looking for help with her husband, I am wondering if that lady is attending a hospital or a consultant. Would there be a route there? Would she be able to get some badly needed help and support? I know with COVID this may be difficult. Surely she has a care team who might be able to help her. Hope my suggestion is of some help. And that's from Michael. 1850 John Paul taking the calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. Here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie. Anam Cara, the national organisation providing support, information and resources to bereaved parents. They're asking for your support by walking in your own St. Patrick's Day Parade within your 5K. Upload your photos to their Twitter or Insta accounts and then donate through justgiving.com forward slash campaign forward slash 17th of March. And McCroom will launch their St. Patrick's Day virtual celebration on Facebook tomorrow when their final video tribute to frontline workers will go live at 10am tomorrow morning. Follow the McCroom St. Patrick's Day virtual celebration 2021 on their Facebook page for this uh, for the entire week. There's also memories of previous St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And Bantry, they're holding a car parade on St. Patrick's Day. They're asking everyone to dress up please in Irish colours an Aragon community will enumerate Dune Waterfall for St Patrick's Day they have pre-recorded a show of Irish dancing music and song which can be viewed on their Facebook page and on YouTube on St Patrick's Night from 8 o'clock tomorrow check out Lighting the Dune on social media platforms Cork Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to CMIG we're going to stay on the St. Patrick's Day theme for a moment because my next guest will tomorrow morning be appearing on Good Morning America, showing off his dance steps to millions of American viewers. Seamus Morrison is from Formoy and he's a member of the talented Irish dance act called Corda. Uh, good afternoon to you, Seamus. Everything. Uh, lovely introduction. Uh, thank you very much. Now, for people who haven't seen you on his social media platform, TikTok, explain to people what your group do. So, we're literally seven random lads from Ireland, one from Cork, myself from Cork. We have three Galway lads. We have Ronan, Dara, and Francis Fallon. And then we have three Clare lads, Ethan, Brian, and Stephen. And we, we've been Irish dancing together for about 15 years. We met through competitions, dancing in the World Championships, and other majors around the world. And we decided when one COVID hit and the whole country went into lockdown, 
we had nothing better to be doing. Our World Championships was cancelled. So we decided to make a few videos on TikTok and meet up at the weekends, like, of course, with restrictions and everything, um, abiding by the rules. And we made the account 1st of July, and our goal was to hit 1,000 followers. But, of course, we've kind of exceeded that limit at this stage, and we're on the border of 2 million. And we had our first viral video on 1st of August, which has now 5 million views. And I think it was a week later, we posted Banjo Beats, and it is currently at around 90 million views. So that's how we started off. Are you blown away by the reaction? It is. Uh, to be honest, it's a dream come true. It was not expected from just a cart man from Fermoy, to be honest. <laughs> and it's Irish dancing with a modern twist. Yeah, that's it. We just we it, we have the normal Irish dancing, the traditional Irish dancing that everybody around the, around the world knows of, river dance, Lord of the Dance, and we put our own kind of contemporary twist to it, and we dance contemporary music from all the big artists around the world. We've even been noticed by like Dermot, the likes of the Irish artist Dermot Kennedy, and even Shakira herself hey. have posted posted us on our Instagram. And she's about 70 million followers, which was, we were starstruck once we've seen that. So who does the choreography? That's a question we get a lot as well. Um, we all do the choreography. We kind of just come together. Usually we get up in the morning and we just fit into groups. We get as many TikToks, choreograph as many TikToks as we can. And we just learn them off each other. We pick out three or four people, whoever wants to be in the TikTok. And whoever's in the mood to dance TikTok as well, that's a big thing with us. And uh, we'll film the TikTok and for the rest of the day, we'll just edit it and post it and post one every day. So we all have our own input on the choreography. So that's brilliant. It's a great way to do it. There's no one man. We're just all equal, which is the best thing about the group. And selecting the song choices? Yeah, that's another process then. we our, our jobs is literally scrolling through TikTok day in, day out. So any trending sounds, any trending sounds on TikTok, we'll find them, we'll save them, and we'll choreograph anything we can to that step. And if there's any trends, specific trends on TikTok, dancers will try and interpret them in the dance to make it even cooler and more modernised, you could say. You've nailed this. You, you really yeah. have. Yeah. So, so because obviously the 5K, if you're off from all over the country, you, you can't with the 5K. Are you all living together now in a bubble? Yeah, we've all moved in together since uh, roughly, I think it was the 11th of January. And we've been staying, we've been staying together in a beautiful house. Like, if, if you've seen this house now, my mother, my mother's listening to this right now. And I, she nearly cried when she seen the house. <laughs> she nearly cried. She loved her holiday home. And... We are right, I'd say we're about 15 metres from the sea. And it is, our, also, the Cliffs of Moher are within our 5K, where we are filming GMA tomorrow. And it is just the perfect location for the seven of us. It is brilliant. So even though you're you're in Clare, you still stick to the 5K even to shoot the videos? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you? Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done. And so, so you've rented a house, obviously. You haven't bought yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And who's responsible for the cleaning? Oh, Gene, I wouldn't even get into that now. Good job, the lads aren't around now, so I don't, I don't be bad mouthing any of them. See, I'm, oh, think, yeah. I'm thinking from your mammy's point of view, mammy would be saying, who's keeping that house tidy? 
Yeah, exactly. Oh no, mum and dad have me under strict instructions to keep that house spotless. <laughs> and the cooking? The cooking at the start, we were trying to figure it out because we didn't know what we were going to do. But we kind of the lads, we kind of split into different groups. So we have the likes of uh, Brian and Francis. They're in a group together, so they cook for each other. And then we have Ronan, Stephen, and Ethan. They cook for each other. But then me and Dara went solo. We kind of went the one-man show, like, for the cooking. <laughs> but you're surviving, which is the main we're thing. Sur- we're surviving, yeah. So this is, now, this is now your full-time job. You're, you're, full, you're yeah. full-time TikTokers. Yeah, so that's, that's the plan for the future as well. Well, our, big, our main goal is to have a show and just tour the globe, like, with a car show, modernised show, and... Well, I, I hope people come to it. That's the, that's You'll do it. You'll, I've seen your TikToks. They are, they are amazing. How did the Good Morning America come about? So we have recently um, gotten managers, Big and Bright. They're both from Dublin. Uh, they're both based in Dublin, sorry. Um, Shane and Greg. And we decided a while ago, a few months ago, we've only been at this eight months. That's the, that's the mad thing as well. Um, so we decided a few months ago, I think it was maybe three, four months ago. I could be wrong. Um, don't don't quote me on that. Um, but uh, we needed we wanted to find a manager because we were kind of handling all the back end stuff with Corda, all the media things like that, and brand deals, and we couldn't really keep up with all of it and be as creative as we are now with TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. So um, we went around trying to find the best management agency we could, and we came across actually it was Ronan and Dara in the group came across Shane and Greg and we had a Zoom call with them and we just the chemistry was there like it brilliant. was just brilliant and they get us they did the research into Irish dancing even the Irish dancing community itself and they just they know everything now like and they know exactly what we can do and the potential we have for the for the near the near future I could say But to be on Good Morning America on St. Yeah. Patrick's I, Day Seamus that is massive I remember the day I remember our, it was great Greg sent it in to our group chat. We have two group chats. We have the business group chat and then we have like just all the seven lads called the crack company. Like just having the crack. That's what it was at the start. Like that's what Carter was at the start. But now we're after getting more serious and it's only after hitting us today really. We're here in Galway now in a studio drilling everything for tomorrow and we have another big announcement. Everybody's listening. We have another big announcement at four o'clock so keep an eye on the socials. Another big announcement. What is it? I can't, I can't say. I can't say. <laughs> is it? Is it a? Is it a worldwide thing? Yeah, it is. Four o'clock today on social media. Yeah, on social media. Okay, a few little bits, but that'll be that'll come in time. We'll keep an eye off that. Okay, so you're yeah. pra- you're practicing today. Are you actually going to be live, or will you pre-record it? No, we're going live with everything. Oh, sorry. No, we're not. No, my mistake. I'm just thinking time-wise. So, yeah, we have four pieces that we're dancing tomorrow. They are going to be insane. We have drilled the crap out of each other. We have one person standing out and you know, I say we're, and some of the lads were nearly crying like we're sweating mad here. Um, but we have four pieces and they are teasing three of the pieces before each commercial break in the morning. And then we are closing off Good Morning America with our main piece which is around a minute long and it's going to be spectacular I could say. I tell you, and, and what it will do for tourism, because, you know, we will get out of this pandemic and the Americans will be back in their droves on the aeroplanes and the amount of people that will be oh. sitting down watching Good Morning America yeah. tomorrow will watch that clip and go, want to go visit there. Yeah, it's off. Oh, there's no words really like that we have to say, like, it's going to hit us tomorrow when we wake up. 
It's brilliant. Um, it's brilliant. And of course, the big question is, people want to know, will we be able to see it here? That is the big question. Yeah, we're trying. We were trying to find it out earlier on. Our managers were trying to find a link or something to it. But we're going to find it, and we'll have it on our socials. Will you? Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. Do you want to say hi to your mammy? Hello, mother. <laughs> when were you last home and from Hoy? Uh, to be honest, I don't remember. <laughs> did you remember? Did you? I don't, I don't think of being home. All I think about is just touring and eventually traveling the world. But seeing your mom and dad are nonstop on me. I say it like dad calls me about five times a day while he's while he's driving. Like, but he pulls in when he's driving. Oh, course, and yeah. uh, did you remember what last Sunday was? Sorry. Did you remember what last Sunday was? Last Sunday. Mother's Day. Oh, Mother's Day. Uh, oh, my God. She, she's on this now. No, actually, she's, she, it was the first time I'd say it in about 20 years, as long as I've been on this earth. So I've actually said it straight away in the morning. I rang her straight away and I said, Happy Mother's Day. And I, she, she was, it, was, it was got emotional, to be honest. Ah. You know why since I said it? Good Good. Well, well, I imagine. I imagine the entire. I imagine the entire family uh, in Fromoy are so so proud uh, proud of you. And indeed, oh, yeah. all of us in Cork are proud of you. It's amazing what you're doing on uh, TikTok. Best of luck with Good Morning America tomorrow, Seamus. We'll speak again, and uh, stay safe. Look after yourselves. Thank you so much for having okay. me. Thanks a million. Bye bye, bye bye. Seamus Morrison there, the Cork representative on Carda. If you haven't spotted them, um, they're on TikTok. They really are incredible. And actually, John Paul says uh, we're putting up uh, some of their videos all up on c103.ie. Take time out uh, to watch it. It's just a modern twist on Irish dancing, and they are incredibly talented. These uh, seven young lads, uh, we wish them well. I'm more proud about the fact that one of them is one of our own. Seamus Morrison from from Moy 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court Today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And Joe Heffernan joining us on uh, this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, and Joe, today we want to talk about cannabis use uh, yeah. because there has been an increase in cannabis use since the pandemic arrived, I think, with people socialising more at home. I don't know whether that's the reason uh, or not, but... Y- but the dangers of cannabis use, it's, you know, I know a lot of people see it as such an innocent drug. Oh, you just get a bit of a high and what are people? And, you know, there's a lot of campaigning for people wanting to have it legalised. And I know it's legalised in, in other countries. But from the work that you do, you know the effect that cannabis use can have on not all, but some people. Well, it can. It can. And I mean, um, I'm basically talking today about cannabis abuse. As against use. I mean, I know that there are certain uh, conditions uh, where um, uh, I, I'm not too sure of um, the uh, percentages of THC and all that. Now, um, uh, that should be uh, that kind of science would be a little bit outside my remit. But um, I'm talking really about uh, uh, cannabis abuse, um, where people are. Um, uh, I, I, I I hate the term recreational drug use, but um, because, I mean, recreational drug use can turn into very harmful drug use. Um, we might talk someday very soon, for example, about, I remember a gardener recently, a, a chief superintendent saying, Ireland is loaded with cocaine. We will lose a generation of young people if we don't tackle it as a health issue. But that's for another day. Um, yeah, uh, cannabis abuse. Um, I remember talking with a young man, a very talented, um, very likable young man. Mm. And um, he was, um, as the term was going at the time, mostly smoking weed. And um, he seems to have got a version of the drug. I think at the time it was being referred to as skunk. Yeah. And um, that's one of the strongest forms of yeah. cannabis. Well, no, he had a psychotic episode, oh. and he finished up in a psychiatric ward, and and he finished up not knowing, as the fellow says, like um, um, re- reality from from fiction. And um, he he was in an awful state. And I remember chatting uh, with his man. And, um, you know, things were quite bad. And I remember also, I think, um, a judge in a, in a, uh, I remember, uh, writing something at some stage about cannabis use and, uh, a judge, um, or it was referring to a panorama program on the BBC, either Horizon or Panorama, one of those. And, um, the judge asked, uh, I, I had a tape of it at the time, and he, he did, the judge asked, could he see it? Um, and one of the headings to do with that was, uh, teenagers who use cannabis are up to 10 times as likely to develop serious mental illness as those who do not use it. Uh, scientists have found that the drug can cause permanent um uh, physical change to the still growing brain 
which can lead to psychosis and um, and lesser uh, mental health issues. So it's not as innocent mm-hmm. as people make out. And the thing you know? is, people don't know how it's... That's the, da- that's the danger with any drug. People don't know how it is going to affect them. Uh, precisely. Precisely. It, 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 there is a touch of Russian roulette about it that... Um, You know, some people will say, and they will say, and they will be telling the truth, that they have smoked cannabis and it hasn't really done them any harm. Okay, that's fair enough. But other people, and I mean, I'm not talking out of a book. I I have seen the effects um, on, on some young people. That particular young man that I have in mind stands out. Um, and recently there was a study conducted by health experts in UCC. And um, they're saying that the study should be considered in the debate about liberalisation of cannabis laws. Um, And they talk about what they refer to as um, cannabis use disorder. Um, That's a new new term, is it? Cannabis use disorder? I think what it basically means is um, it's the continued use of cannabis despite clinically significant impairment. Now, that's nearly a definition of addiction. I mean, if a person keeps using um, a substance, whether it's alcohol, cannabis, or any other thing, um, in spite of the fact that it is having an adverse and negative effect on their lives, well, that's just about um, uh, a definition of addiction. Mm. Uh, In other words, like, it's... um, it's doing you harm, but you keep doing it, uh, whether it means um, uh, that you're not doing your job well and at risk of losing it, or whether it means that uh, you're uh, not doing well in your studies, or whatever. But if you keep on doing it, and it keeps on um, having a significant um, adverse effect on your life, um that would be um, a definition of uh, of an addiction. Um, you yeah, know. because because the argument, whenever there is an argument put forward as to why we should legalise cannabis, uh, most of the people in favour of legalising it saying you, you can't, it's not addictive. Whereas, you know, there's nicotine and tobacco and you get addicted to nicotine. There's nothing in cannabis that can ma- make you addicted. But people get addicted to the high. Yes, yeah. precisely. Precisely. You see, the thing about it is that there is what's called psychological addiction. In other words, you just nailed it there with that statement that, I mean, they get addicted to the high. And of course, the high is very, very attractive. Um, uh, Most uh, substances, um, I wouldn't come at them at all from a, a moral point of view. I mean, I wouldn't be saying, oh, it's bad. No, I'd be saying it doesn't work. Um, If we could be on a high with some substances uh, on a regular basis, and if there was absolutely no downside, I'd be in the queue. Hmm. Wouldn't we all? Yes. But the thing about it is that as treatment centres prove, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work, Um, uh, you know. Um, Yeah. recent findings like in in adolescent addiction treatment um, services across the country, cannabis is far and away the most common substance causing people to need treatment 
in the past three to four years. Now, people wouldn't be um, volunteering uh, on entering treatment centres unless they were in trouble. Um, you know, it wouldn't exactly be <laughs> a staycation. Um, it would not. So that, um, it, it does cause um, it does cause serious problems, no doubt about it. And they and they you will often hear it referred to as well as a gateway drug. That the young person might start with a few joints, thinking there's nothing wrong with this, and getting a bit of a high. I'm fine, but then they want a bigger high, and Absolutely. that's where you're into really serious drug addiction. Then. Absolutely. And that has been um, shown to be true. Um, when you have people, young people in um, addiction centres, um, uh, we'll say for cocaine use or um, even, um, uh, you know, heroin use, um, the, the usual answer to when did you start using a mood altering um, uh, substance? The usual answer, the, 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 the high percentage of people will answer, I started with, um, with smoking, um, smoking weed. Um, one of the quotations from the, uh, the study was, early initiation and regular cannabis use in adolescence has been found to be associated with numerous negative health outcomes, including the addiction, one we've just mentioned, uh, use of other illicit substances and mental health problems. So, um, you know, there's an awful lot of research, uh, good uh, scientific, uh, as we hear about all the time these there's good scientific data um, to show that um, that cannabis use and cannabis is not um, uh, um, uh, a non-harming uh, drug for, for of, of use. It 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 just simply isn't. Um, for example, four out of ten uh, current users for this study that I'm referring to there, um, uh, four out of ten. Um, uh, were either abusing cannabis, in other words, like heavy use, uh, causing uh, trouble in their lives, um, or um, are de- dependents, yeah. Uh, one in four um, uh, scored positive for um, um, a problem. Um, uh, and, and the study found that um, young people, those aged 15 to 24, were four times more likely to have um, an adverse uh, uh, finding uh, among uh, current users. And uh, the, the age group, um, first of all, males, young males were mostly presenting uh, in treatment centers, etc., with a problem. And um, m- m- the majority were in the 15 to 24 um, age group. And it was found that a lot of the people who got into serious trouble with cannabis um, had uh, packed up uh, their education uh, at at quite an early stage. Like their whole lives destroyed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, another study that I was reading about, like, was headed, weed makes you less likely to feel rewards. In other words... um, uh, you know, things that would give you a lift, um, they kind of don't anymore. Um, 
Uh, in other words, your your emotion, emotional, um, the the emotional side of a person um, has been dulled. Um, and I, I remember, I remember very well. I, I did seven or eight years in UCC doing student counselling, and um, you know, you 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 would get rarely, but you would get a person coming in and saying, "Look, I need a letter for my." Um, uh, department head that um, I have um, I have an assignment to get in uh, to I had an assignment to get in last Friday I didn't make it um, could you could you help me out with it by you know uh, writing something um, for me and we we usually would like but the 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 odd time um, when you'd be chatting then about how life was and things um, uh, it often came across that the that the reason that the assignment didn't go in was because maybe and I'm not saying this is in the majority now this would be um, in some cases sometimes um, would be um, smoking weed and therefore um, kind of ambition. Um, uh, uh, weed has been found to definitely hold people back from fulfilling their potential. In other words, like um, uh, important stuff gets neglected. Yeah, they're, and that's they're so good. out of it on on the high. Yeah. All right. Okay. Just uh, good words of advice to, to to get through to hard to get through to young people though to tell them they they feel they're invincible at that age. Yeah. Uh, listen. Have a great week. Enjoy your St Patrick's Day Absolutely. tomorrow. And if people want to contact Joe, we've got a new number for you. It's a mobile number: oh eight six eight three four eight one four five. We'll speak again to you next week, Joe. Okay. Thank Patricia. you for that. Thank and you. Uh, thanks. And enjoy Patrick's Day. The, and many happy returns. Thanks for that. That's our own uh, Joe Heffern and a listener says I'm frontline worker heading to work every day I've noticed the building work is going on and it's been going on right throughout this lockdown also a toy shop is open most days please don't give out my name and number sorry I can't come on air but I think this is so unfair on older people who've been say, staying in and yet you can see all this activity going on and then someone else says to tell the people who are snooping on those in supermarkets most of the stuff accessible in supermarkets is essential okay that's where we wrap it up for today we won't be with you tomorrow uh, obviously John Green is sitting in we're back with you though on Monday on Monday Thursday morning at uh, 10 o'clock we won't know what day it is uh, Nick is next Court Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Flexibility is great that's why there's yoga Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.